Hello and welcome to the next episode of Tilney's Investment Podcast. I'm Rahan Patel, Investment Advisor from Tilney's London office, and I'm talking to Chris Godding, our Chief Investment Officer. Uh, today I'd like to talk about the economic outlook amid the global pandemic, how central banks have reacted, and also the effect of their stimulus measures. We'll be discussing current geopolitical issues. We'll also look at individual assets and how earnings have been impacted. And finally, what changes we've made to our portfolios. We're recording this podcast from our homes today on Wednesday, the 3rd of June. And before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and that you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographical region and industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you are unsure about the suitability of an investment or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. Hi, Chris. Hope you're keeping well. Um, if I can start with the following in terms of what's happening in the markets, how's the outlook for the econ- uh, economic growth actually evolving at the moment? Oh, hi, Rohan. Um, yeah, I'm uh, very well, thank you. Uh, it's been glorious weather. Um, the um, the glorious news on the GDP front, economic growth front, front is that um, the consensus is now looking at a 20% rise in GDP in the second half of the year versus the first. So a big inflection. Um, that said, it's still going to be down between 35 and 5% year on year with a full recovery to those 2019 levels um, by around the end of 2021. One of the reasons that uh, the uh, consensus is not looking for a full recovery faster is that they see some essentially uh, post-traumatic stress disorder um, from the consumer. So a a little bit of um, excess savings uh, as consumers um, uh, uh, be fairly uh, cautious about the outlook. And also to, to back that up, some a slower recovery of employment. Uh, it takes a long time to put the number of people that have been put on furlough or out of work uh, back into employment. So um, there's that time delay, and there's also a some permanent loss of output. U.S. US unemployment that, uh, is likely to be around 10% at the end of this year. And and also the the other slight negative is that the progression on the control of the virus in the U.S. is slightly slower than expected, and the high frequency data on the the states within the U.S. that have reopened is is decidedly muted. So, and some of that faster moving high frequency data that we've seen from J.P. Morgan, uh, the U.K. heavy goods vehicle traffic is running up about. Uh, 80% of pre-crisis levels. Car miles are still down at around 30% of pre-crisis. Bus, tube, rail, uh, they're languishing around 5 to 15%. But unsurprisingly, visits to parks are up 50%. Um, in, the, uh, in the US uh, and Germany, the Apple Map data uh, requests suggest that we are over 100% of normal. Um, and uh, perhaps those people are working out the quickest way to get to the park. Um, and we're also seeing an increasingly uh, 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 increasing use of MapAx apps in the UK. So 
that's encouraging. Uh, on the other transport flight uh, flights, scheduled flights in Western economies remain pretty flat to down, while flights in China have bounced back to around 80% of normal. So um, in the US, total traveler throughput is still down 85%. And in the UK, it's down 88%. Um, and one final thing is that aggr aggregate credit card spending in the US is down 25%. But that's after being down 40% in early April. And uh, but um, online job openings still seem to be quite depressed with the UK at 56% um, of, uh, of normal. Um, Chris, you talk with, with regard to unemployment um, and, and also uh, the banks in terms of what the banks have exposure to. Um, we talk about uh, you know, uh, stress sectors such as leisure, energy, etc. Um, do you think banks have made enough provision for for uh, for bad debts uh, currently? Yeah, it's a good good question. Um, obviously, the government support has helped ameliorate some of those issues, um, but the we have seen a significant e increase in the provisions of, in the banking sector in the in the uh, in the last quarter re uh, result season. So. They seem to be taking a, a pretty um, heavy hit up front. Um, so the market investors uh, initially sold off the banks on the back of those higher provisions. Uh, I think it's too early to say whether they're enough or not. Um, what we have seen recently, though, is the bank sector in the U.S., the banking sector in the U.S. and the U.K. and uh, and Europe uh, rally quite significantly on the back of yeah. The recovery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and what about stimulus policies? Are they are they are they working? Yeah, I think um, there's some really good work again from JP Morgan on this in terms of um, the impact of liquidity. Um, the there is a huge amount of uh, additional liquidity being put into the system, which has been massively positive in terms of equity markets. It, the dollar shortage that we saw. And the peak of uh, the stress in the markets is definitely easing. Uh, the uh, um, trade weighted index, dollar trade weighted index, is uh, coming off quite uh, quite a lot. Um, and the, when we look at things like the Fed's balance sheet, it's risen uh, over three trillion to around seven trillion. Um, also, the Fed has seen significant use of the swap lines that it's put in place for other central banks. About 450 billion has been accessed in, uh, through those swap lines, and uh, but interestingly, those the other monetary support programs they've put in place have seen less demand, uh, and and that um, we saw a little bit in Europe with some of their the emergency programs. There's a bit of stigma associated with accessing those emergency funds because if your suppliers see that you're you're using them, they might be a little bit worried about providing you goods so um, that's th those programs are, are are not widely used at the moment on the supply side and the, on the the treasury is addition ad issuing an additional 1.7 trillion in long dated bonds this year um, investment grade credit issuance is expected to be about 800 billion and high yield um, about another hundred billion. And on the um, on the fiscal side, so that's the monetary side, the fiscal side, 
very supportive at the moment, at the moment for markets, um, but the that support will fade, and there will likely be some real income loss towards the end of the year as those programs roll off. The fiscal in the U.S. turns negative next year, um, and the estimates are that that's going to be a drag on GDP of about one and a half percent, and obviously the debt burden is rising. Um, the good news is that business confidence is in, is recovering nicely, um, particularly in the UK uh, as well, with in substantially more firms now expecting to be able to continue to operate. Um, the only exception, as you mentioned in, in your uh, question about provisions, is the recreation sector, where only half of the firm surveys expect to survive. Wow. Um I guess also the fact that the the, the central banks have, have acted so quickly as well, you know, that's that's a that's a that's a huge plus um, uh, going forward. It just it just I guess shortens the time lag for the money to actually get into the system. Um, Chris, should we worried about uh, U.S.-China tensions? Um, well, it's it's become much more of a talking point lately with Article Twenty Three being the key uh, catalyst uh, in Hong Kong. So that's the sort of the, the, the Anti-Terrorism Act. Um, I think it's important to put things into perspective here. Hong Kong has been trying to pass this act for about 23 years. I think China finally um, decided that enough was enough, uh, given that it was its inability to control the riots um, in Hong Kong. But in an election year, this is very much um, a very useful punch bag for China's becoming a useful punch bag for both candidates, actually, not just Trump, but um, also Biden. Uh, and so I think you're going to see um, uh, China used as a scapegoat or as a diversionary tactic, a bit of a straw man in, uh, in the, as we come up to the election. Um, the key concern on Article 23 has been the, the fact that the U.S. is um, removing special status and the, the people that we've looked at or, 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 or spoken to consider that that will have limited effect. And the, the base case is that China is keen uh, to retain the one country, two system status quo, and the U.S. has absolutely no desire to hurt Hong Kong economically. Uh, but as I say, um, there is this broader uh, cross-party anti-China movement in the U.S., which means that the renminbi is vulnerable to further weakness as that rhetoric sort of ebbs and flows. Mm. Um, and just going back to your point about the the presidential elections later this year, do, do, I mean, do you have a view in terms of do you think do you think Biden would be po positive for the markets um, in 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 the longer scheme of things if he if he did come into power? The, broadly speaking, the Democrats are seen to be less market friendly. Um, I think it really the economic cycle, the the phase of um, economic growth where in the cycle probably don't, uh, overwhelms most of the politics because very little actually. Gets changed during a, an election cycle during the the, um, the four years that the president's in power. Um, so it's largely a sentiment issue. There may be uh, associated uh, issues relating to healthcare. Uh, broadly, broadly speaking, it's seen as being less market friendly. Uh, but uh, I think what's interesting about this situation is that both the Democrats 
and the Republicans are uh, uh, equally anti-China um, at the moment and, and see um, that as a, as a key issue for their election prospects and also going forward in terms of policy that I don't think a lot is going to change with regard to those relations, uh, mm. whoever is president. And Chris, uh, Brexit's finally back in focus. Um, how do you summarize the current, current position? Um, messy. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, so um, there was a little bit of um, positive uh, tea leaves, if you like, in the last couple of days. Um, so the, ba the basic issue is that the UK would like a, uh, a Canada deal. Uh, something similar to Canada, but the European Union believes that the UK is, is too entrenched and the um, the connections and uh, embeddedness of the UK is too great to give the UK that kind of latitude. So um, they are currently refusing to, to do that and um, probably looking for a deal on fish, um, as uh, you know, we are all aware. And... No, so the base case at the moment is from from people observe, looking at this is that um, we get some kind of messy compromise as we go into ne uh, the end of the year. Um, the worst case is a no deal, uh, and but the probability of that remains quite high, about thirty percent. And but either way, it's as I say, it's going to be messy and ugly. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and oil that's um, that's had a spectacular recovery from from uh, from the lows we've seen in April. Um, what's your outlook for commodity and also other risk assets like um, like equities? Yeah, um, yeah, it's oil is definitely it's bounced back. Uh, oil demand in China is is bouncing back quite quite nicely, very much in line with expectations, and is now only down ten percent year over year. Uh, in China, the light vehicle activity is 87% of normal, with driving to work encouraged. Um, and the domestic flight activity is up over 60%. So um, global oil demand is still at 75% of the 2019 levels, um, but we have seen some production cuts to compensate for that. And the expectation is it's going to rise to 90% by the year end. So we're looking at the first inventory drawdowns, I balance in the market by September. Um, the other uh, commodity, well, the commodity that we have in the portfolio is gold, which we think is well positioned either in a deflationary or inflationary scenario. Um, the only situation it would, it would probably come under pressure is if real yields um, rise, um, and, and that, that essentially um, would uh, mean that um, uh, you know, if, if inflation lags the rise in bond yields, so if bond yields go up 1% and inflation doesn't move, that means that real yields have, have gone up uh, 1%. So that, that kind of environment where you get a higher cost of carry of gold, that would not be good for gold. But generally, we think it's very well positioned. Um, so on the earnings side, um, we've seen about 40% of companies pull their guidance, uh, but um, the high-quality growth companies have held up well, and that's done well in our portfolios. Um, the small-cap and cyclical companies, uh, as you'd imagine, have been, been hit particularly hard, but the companies focused on digitalization have, have seen some upgrades. So uh, in, 
in equities in general, it's pretty much as you'd expect. The the companies that are cyclically sensitive have have taken most of the pain. Uh, equity positioning in equity markets, the positioning remains quite light. Uh, I investors are not uh, sort of all in, if you like. Uh, the commodity trading advisor hedge funds CTAs have moved long. Um, so they're they're in the market, um, but the volatility targeting and risk parity equity funds, which are very large in the U.S., um, they remain pretty much below average on their equity weight. The, the what's interesting, and we've seen recently, value positioning uh, is extremely negative, as you'd expect, and we've but we've seen four very violent rallies, value rallies, since mid-May. Um, which imply that investors are quite keen to buy that value. Um, so value is very cheap, but for the moment, we still think that long-duration bond-sensitive equities, by high-growth, long, long-term growth companies are going to do well. Um, and non-US equities are more of a value trade. So um, any any good news in terms of the economy is likely to see non-U.S. markets outperform the U.S. Uh, at the moment, we're looking for higher bond yields and higher oil prices to confirm that shift to cyclical value. Right. And um, and what about with with, uh, with discussing all this? I mean, what changes have we um, have you made to the to to the portfolios? So. Um, with the rise in markets, our equity weights have drifted up, and we're letting those higher weights essentially run. We're not correcting them back to our, our targets. And we've also moved some of our passive ETF positions back to active managers because we think that they can seek out and take advantage of some of the significant dislocations that we're, that we're, we're seeing and that they're seeing um, in, the, in the markets at the moment. Um, we're also looking to add a position in index-linked gilts. Uh, as my uh, fixed income uh, specialist tells me, it's better to buy insurance when you when it's cheap rather than when you need it. So um, that's where investing in index-linked gilts. Um, the short-term outlook is decidedly deflationary, um, but government and central bank policies seem set on raising. Uh, seeing a higher rate of inflation. So the linkers, uh, inflation-linked gilts, will help maintain a minimal level of real return in bonds and also provide us with that negative correlation to equities in the portfolio. We are also modestly increasing our investment-grade credit position, high-quality companies with, uh, with debt, and uh, that will help us capture some of the credit spread over over uh, government gilts, Chris. I think that's all I've, um, I've all the questions I have for you today. I'd um, uh, I'd like to thank for you, thank you for your time as well as also sharing your insights. Um, we'll be back again soon with a with a new episode. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, please send us an email at podcast at tilney.co.uk. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.